Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a TVO podcast. Hi, I'm Colin Ellis, and you're listening to On Docs, a podcast about documentaries and the stories they tell. And today I'm joined by our producer, Matthew O'Mara, who's uh, here to talk about a little film called High Score with me. Hello, Matt. Hey, Colin. How's it going? Yeah, pretty good. How's your day going? Ah, pretty good. You know, it's a bright, nice early morning, and I'm still in my pajamas recording a podcast, so that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Podcaster's dream, man. Yeah. So, uh, what are we talking about today? Uh, we're talking about High Score, uh, which is Netflix's docu-series about video game history. And it's a six-part series that goes from, you know, the start of video gaming uh, as a whole, like talking about the really, really, really old consoles. And it goes as far as talking about online gaming. Uh, and that's a series. Long before the internet, a handful of visionaries reimagined the world. We felt that we were creating a world-changing technology. I had no idea what to expect. I don't know if you were a huge gamer when you were growing up. I was pretty much into Super Nintendo, Game Boy, that sort of thing. What about you? Oh, I, I mean, I have two older brothers and they are super into games. And like, just by default, I was always like player I guess three on most games that we had <laughs> not even player two. Um, but yeah, I mean, I grew up playing games and I still play a lot. I even wrote about games uh, when I first started out in my career in journalism. My console, uh, I guess, pathway in life was starting out with a Nintendo Entertainment System, going to get a Sega Genesis, then the Nintendo 64, and then a GameCube, and then a Wii, and then at that point, me and my brothers all had jobs, so we just bought everything else. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, so you're, you're officially a gaming, a gaming expert then? Oh uh, Yeah, I'd say so. Pretty much. Yeah, definitely. Well, this is a little different uh, episode for us because I'm actually not the one doing the interview today. It's going to be you. So why don't Mm -hmm. you tell us who's coming on the show? Yeah, I spoke with uh, Kashana Gray, who's an assistant professor in gender and women's studies and communications at the University of Illinois at Chicago. And she's written about online communities, gaming culture, and black gamers on streaming platforms like Twitch. I want to speak to an expert who could give me a historian's perspective. I also want a set of eyes who could provide a bit of a critique of the series because, you know, the series is, you know, telling the history of the early, you know, beginnings of video games. And it does have these little asides where they talk about some of these hidden figures in gaming culture and, and history. Um, but Kishana had actually been on another podcast where she talked about who she thought were the hidden figures in gaming. So I really want to tap into that and see who, you know, she thought may have needed to have been included in this series, maybe where parts of the series had kind of fallen flat, and just her thoughts on it as a whole. Yeah, well, it was a really good conversation, so maybe we should get to it, eh? Yeah, let's get to it. Uh, here's our conversation with Dr. Kashana Gray. Kashana Gray, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you so much for taking time out to chat about things that I love. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming on to the show during this busy time while you're teaching. Um, well, let's get into it. We're going to be talking a bit about Netflix's high score. So what did you think of it? So, you know, there are 
multiple ways that I engage things, right? Um, so just mm-hmm. on the on the face of it, just the sheer entertainment value of it, learning the history of like video games, I absolutely loved it. Amazing, you know. And I, I always, um, you know, it's really interesting, especially you know when we, especially when you're so immersed in a culture, you know, you never think about like mm-hmm. the behind the scenes things that are happening and these cool, innovative people who are doing these things that we love. And so I love that you know they're telling these stories, and you know, it, like you know, I was a kid right there when you know I, you know, I wasn't much of like an Atari kid or even, um, or even Nintendo. You know, Sega and right. Sonic, you know, are near and dear to my heart because of you know just the generation that I am in gaming. So I love that. And especially another thing that I love is that, you know, we can honor these folks like while they're still here, like all these innovative people who've given us like video games are, you know, for the most part still around and we can like let them know how much we love and appreciate their, the thing that they gave us. So I absolutely enjoyed it. Absolutely. I mean, it's not like we're, we're talking about Renaissance painting where most of the artists are now gone. So right. we can still talk to these people. We're still living the history, which Absolutely. is a bit different for this. Absolutely. And there's also like this thing that, you know, like in cultures that happens where, you know, we don't really appreciate them or value them until like, you know, they've passed or gone. And they're like, oh, look at all this amazing music that they had. Look at all this stuff, you know. So I love that folks can see like in real time just how much like we, we really value and appreciate, you know, these these cultural products. So let's get into just a bit of a short recap of the series for our listeners out there. Um, And here's a bit of what they covered. They talked about arcades. They talked about Nintendo's role in the video gaming world, role-playing games, RPGs, as they're called, sports games and PC gaming. You know, but, you know, as a historian, as as a person who studies video games, you know, is there anything that you wish that they had included in the series? Yeah, so let's let, let me I want to chat a little bit about, you know, like what was there, right? So something, mm-hmm. you know, from all these you know, we've, it's been like a few years. I feel like every year there's like a new like documentary, right? So this is like a new genre, you know, the, the video game documentary. Um, I love that they, you know, included, you know, like tabletop Dungeons and Dragons. You know, I love that they incorporated, you know, those kinds of conversations into the conversation around gaming as well, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it opened up like the conversation to be like a little bit more broad. So it's not just like, oh, like a video game. It's also like, you know, play and leisure and creating these immersive worlds you know world and and then also with like like just the imagination like you know I love that you know they talked about just like I I remember um I can't remember his name he was at um the Nintendo guy that kept walking into the room with the cigarette like you know Shigeru Miyamoto yeah (laughs) I'd like just to see like the the thought process you know like like just what went on like in the the behind the scenes of people you know coming up with these fantastic things And, and I love that you know they put like you know you have the visionary the person that has these big ideas that are pushing the boundaries also with the people that can that can make it happen you know so mm-hmm. I really loved you know that relationship I'm sure these were tough relationships to have you know I'm sure these were like you know you know they weren't so you know we're, we're painting the like there was like nice and pretty and all fun and happy everybody's having a good time you know but I'm sure that you know these were strained relationships you know especially when um oh I just can't even imagine the strained relationship was the the guy the folks that created doom and then they put out the press release and then you know oh, they, yeah. they put themselves under that time constraint like I, to do that to give us like our first like online multiplayer like engagement like I couldn't I couldn't imagine just how how tough it probably got in like that that space so you know so I want to make sure you know just to like you know acknowledge just the things that are there and that and I love that we were able to put like the human side behind it we were Mm -hmm. able to uh, 
um, you know, see that these humans who just wanted to create like cool things. I love, I love that we were able to see that they gave us some of that background nuance, you know, to how tough and how complex it was. For the first time, you can play in a high-speed 3D world where you're blowing your friends apart. God damn it! <laughs> it's really fun to play against each other in deathmatch, and it influenced everybody in wanting to make games. One thing that Netflix's uh, high score really did was is they they seem to have uncovered a lot of hidden figures in, you know, gaming history. We're talking about you know you know people like um, I don't know those people who are working in the Nintendo helpline. I mean, talking about <gasps> yes. the, the guy. Yeah, I mean, that's an amazing you know, story uh, that they're talking about where, you know, kids used to be able to call in to get hits, hints and tips um, for, you know, playing games. But I mean, in 2018, you're at Gaming for Everyone and you're up on stage talking for a, for a podcast and you had mentioned that you want developers and players to know about these hidden figures in gaming. I was wondering, who are you talking about? One of the things that I was, um, we... We don't know. So I was I was engaged in a conversation with somebody. We were trying to figure out who like the the first black game developer was. And you know, there are some people who think that, you know, they think they were the first like so all of a sudden, you know, we just have like some really dope like black folks, you know, who are just in this space. And we don't know like what the origin story is, you know. So we've got like the story of course of the amazing um the black man that gave us like the the cartridge, right? You know, like putting like the cartridge, putting a game like stored in a cartridge and being able to play like across platforms. Um and and then, you know, we've got oh even the guy I was really excited like to see the story of the the black man who basically put black athletes on the football on the sports games right yeah it was Gordon Bellamy yeah Gordon I remember meeting Gordon like at that at that event that, that you're talking about so I was glad to like see those but I always I just felt as I was watching that those stories were so short and not they they weren't at a level where I felt like they were engaging in a in-depth level as some of the other stories were engaged you know, like, like to me, it felt like, okay, well, we have to just pay homage to like, you know, these black folks, but I just don't even feel like their stories were really like immersed in like the, the whole narrative. They were like, okay, so here's like, so imagine like the story that high scores is telling is like a line on like a, a, a linear story, you know, on a path. And then they were like, and then they had to like stop and like, oh, oh, well, maybe we should talk about, you know, this, this trans woman. Oh, man, well, well, they did a great job with her story. You know, they, they, I was glad to see that. I was very, you know, glad that they acknowledged, um, I can't remember her name. Uh, uh, last, Rebecca Heineman. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So I felt, so I didn't, I didn't feel like that that was like an, an, an afterthought, you know, I felt like that they really were, you know, incorporated her story in a meaningful way. Um, but when it got to like the black stories, I feel like, first off, I think we only had two black stories, right? Something that you had a you, you talked about during that 2018 fireside chat is that you know when video games were kind of on the decline after the you know arcade boom and bust and you know video games were kind of like a up in the air kind of thing it's like is this going to become a medium is this just going to fizzle into nothing um, you talked about in the fireside chat that it wasn't you know the white developers that really helped video games come back it was actually black and you know black kids. and brown kids mm -hmm. playing in you know arcades could you just tell me a bit more about that story absolutely so i think in, in an era where you know arcades were you know on the decline you know i um you know the, the console game in like the household you know it didn't didn't reach like the level that a lot of these execs thought it would reach but the thing is that, you know, while, you know, the arcades, you know, that, that first decline, the first wave of arcades, you know, like was on the decline, right? Mm -hmm. These arcades, they were cheap 
and a lot of people were buying them up, right? So a lot of places that were buying them up were like these bodegas and these corner stores. So these people were buying the arcades and bringing those arcades into like the urban centers, right? Into like a lot of these like poor, you know, black and brown like neighborhoods. And so what, what this showed was that there is a particular demographic of folks like who are still interested in this and who will still participate. So it was basically black and, and, and Latino youth in like these large urban centers that basically kept the console afloat or kept arcades afloat and, and thus kept the console afloat, right? Where people were like, well, there's still like a viable market here. Um, but the problem is, is that the mar- the the industry continues to market towards like this, this, this aspirational population, this aspirate, like I guess they aspire, they want, you know, these white teen adolescents like to be, you know, their target demographic and they continue to ignore like the folks who are there and who are present, right? You know, so when you go in, like if you, you can hear even, I love like hearing like, you know, these old rappers story Chris Rock has a story like all of these dope black folks have these stories about how they spent all their you know all these quarters you know in these in these corner stores like on these arcades like playing these arcades and like playing playing these things so you know that that wasn't even featured I got really excited when they started talking about arcades I'm like you have to talk about you know the arcade that's like the arcades in the hood you know and and they they didn't and and I think that was like a that was it was such a huge miss right right so it's Anna Everett's work Anna Everett you know she she talked about you know those early days of like you know like like technology and like you know black neighborhoods and you know how how you know black folks have always been like a savvy innovative like population of folks who have always used it but we just ignore it because think about the time you know that that you know that that maybe black folks were like using like these arcades you know they they couldn't go to the mall you know because think about you know even how we like police black bodies so think about even like in the city of Chicago right so you know you may have had arcades like in the mall but you couldn't just have like a a group of of young black boys just in that space being loud and being you know uh like um uh, too too aggressive like in the eyes like they would the police the police would be called so you know you know a lot of like black and brown youth weren't even able to take part of like that first wave of the arcades it was only when you know they went on the decline and you know a lot of these these um these stores could purchase them like for a cheaper price that they were even able to like really like like take part and you know we we've, we've lost that history that's some hidden history but it don't it, it but but it's there if we just kind of like put it together you know we hear you know about a lot of these entertainers that talk about you know they fell in love with you know like street fighter you know and they fell in love you know with these different kinds of games like in the arcade like on in the at the at the um uh at the corner store the arcade that's in in their corner store something i want to talk a bit about was uh, we had mentioned gordon bellamy uh and one thing about him that we don't really talk about or they didn't get into um in the documentary series is he was actually a pretty high up um executive in the international game developers association the igda and in 2019 Mm. um you know the igda reported that a majority of game developers are white it's something like 80 percent of them are white and you know only two percent of them are black and you had also mentioned previously a 2015 Pew study. And I believe that found something like um, a really higher percentage. Uh, there was a higher percentage of black teenagers who play games more than white teenagers who play games. So I guess my question is, is you know, why doesn't the industry reflect their audience like at all? Think about the ways that industries would have to contort if they're like all of a sudden, oh, well, we have girls that play this game, so we have to create a, a game for girl for girls. Like, what is that going to look like? Girls, do girls like this or girls like that? So the industry can't even fathom that the thing that they're already creating and putting out into the world are things that we love too. We love these things. Girls 
play those things. Like, and so there was like a moment even in the game where they had to like figure out what well, girls are playing. Well, make, well, we got to create Miss Pac-Man, you yeah. know, for the, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was just, it was just silly, you know, they, that they just had to like create like Pac-Man because they're like, well, girls don't want to shoot. Well, yeah, we do. We've been shooting. <laughs> We're doing it. We, we've been doing that, you know? And so I think it's one of those things where the industry, th- you know, will just lose its collective mind and will get its collective panties in a bunch, you know, if they have to like think about, um, cause, cause in their mind, they're like, well, this is a different audience we have to target target and market to them like differently right and so that's just talking about like the consumer right but with the people who are like behind the scenes that's a totally that's a different conversation altogether so when you think about the people who are there right there are traditional pathways of how like folks like end up like in in these development and design like kind of jobs and positions right a traditional pathway of course you know is like you know computer science right another pathway you know could be like engineering you know so folks are in these like heavy stem fields like you know the people who are producing these things are in these heavy stem fields now the last time i checked mit was not just admitting black students like in mass right the last time I checked, you know, Google was not admitting like, you know, black interns in mass. Right. So we have like a traditional pipeline. Now, there is like research in, in STEM. I remember a, a friend of mine, um, uh, Sharuni Ratnabala Suryar, she did her she did her uh, dissertation work or she did some as, some of her work on like the, the leaky pipe. And it's the the leaky pipe in STEM is where we lose like women and girls. It's like where we lose like folks of color. It's where we lose like these folks who are not like the the part of like the traditional target audience, right? And then culturally is where we lose a lot of them because they're like, okay, well, this culture doesn't really fit me. It's a lot of dude bros. You know, it's a lot of Mm -hmm. like, you know, there's this white Western culture that is like, you know, like it's running, it's running the show here, right? And then we also have to think, you know, when conversations, when they are about like incorporate like designing technology for like different populations you know there's all kinds of like sexism that could be inherent in that so when people are like oh we got to design games games for girls well give them barbie and pink and purple you know that's right. sexism. you know people have to like like be there and like exist like w- within that moment and so it's already because because these gatekeepers you know and a lot of time it's it's networks too so people rely on their existing networks to to, to make these connections with other folks. So think about even the earliest companies, the earliest startups, the earliest tech startups. They, it was people that they knew. So it was their friend. Oh, my friend. And their friends are white, you mm-hmm. know? So that, and then, and then they, when they want to build their teams and expand their teams, they're going based on what their, the, their network that is growing is. And it's still heavily white and male, you know, secondarily like East Asian. So we have to like, you know, contend with the fact that these industries look the way they look because people don't have diverse networks. People don't know a lot of diverse people and then people go to programs like in computer science programs I think we had like the numbers that you know like show that there aren't that many women there aren't that many underrepresented like minorities like in those spaces as mm-hmm. well and so if these if these companies are are relying on you know those populations to fill the seats when they have jobs you know then all of a sudden you're you're like cutting out a huge chunk of like of like the um uh of of possible applicants right so 
They're also in that the gatekeeping um, process. You know, folks are creating and designing these job ads with particular parameters. They're getting these parameters of like, okay, they want somebody that went to like a top school. Okay, did you go to Stanford? Did you go to MIT? You know, did you do your internship at like, you know, a big company or like a, you know, did, were you? So think about like, you know, that person who went to like a, did the computer science degree at Howard University or Tennessee State or Kentucky State, you know, who went to like a HBCU, right? They're, that's not a traditional pathway so then they might ignore you know those folks because they're like well are those programs rigorous enough so they're they're one and they throw in like language like that but that's also racially coded you know because you're like okay it's not rigorous enough because it's at, the, at this hbcu so this hbcu is diminished because you know we don't know the professors that are there we don't know the folks who are there and it's not it's not a part of like our traditional network so that's how you're able to sustain white supremacy that's how you're able to sustain these these unequal like um uh, structures like along a along the lines of like race, right? Yeah. Um, so then when you're giving advice to somebody of like, okay, what do you need to do? What's the pathway? You know, I'll, <sighs> Ga- let me say something else I get mad at. Sure. Gaming culture, praising college dropouts. Yeah, that, that's, is uh, like, that's a big part of high score too. They talk about so many examples of people saying like, oh, well, you know, we, 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 we made these illegal upgrade packs. We got sued for it and we quit <laughs> university because we were making so much money. So do you know if that was if that was Jose and Jamal, they would be under the jail right mm. now if they did the same thing. Right. You know, so that's why, you know, there there's um, it, that's I, I just still can't. I had to pause and like take a moment because I was really going to stop the high school. You were the one. If it wasn't for this podcast, I would have stopped high schools like a long time ago because <laughs> I saw the story they was going to tell. You know, like I said, I loved it. I want to love it. But I was still bothered by so many of those things. But I had started this thread on Twitter where I was asking folks about, you know, what's the the pathway to get into game design and game development, right? Those stories really the background of a person like really mattered, right? So I had like so many people saying that the way to get there, you have to go to like the top schools and the top programs. So I have so many other people who are like, okay, that traditional pathway just isn't going to work for like black and brown folks. So there was some, you know, a really beautiful thread of where somebody said, hey, you could teach yourself these skills. I taught myself this. And but, but and because, because there's somebody who has spent so much money on all these degrees, like they were the perfect candidate and they still have struggled to be able to get their foot into the door, you know, because they just... I, I don't know. You're like, and they, they don't want to say it's racism, you know, but there's just, it's, it's just there. We still have to just accept that there are all these exclusionary practices and these entities just don't want women and people of color to be a part of those communities. Right. You know, our, our audience for on docs is largely people who watch documentaries. Um, so they might not be, you know, the biggest video game players in the world. Um, but if you could recommend for them to, you know, even take a look at a trailer of a game or play a game, is there a game that you would recommend that they take a look at? that kind of represents, you know, the sort of aspirational game of the future of what game development should look like or or will look like? Oh, my gosh. Matthew, that's a fantastic question. Oh, my gosh. That's a tough question. Mm-hmm. Um, Assassin's Creed Freedom Cry. Why is that? Is one, the, downloadable, the downloadable content for that. That, that featured Adewale. Mm-hmm. At a while, and it tells basically it's a slave narrative, right? You know, so folks have to be ready for that. Not everybody might can consume like a slave narrative. I would want folks to start with the cinematic trailer of Assassin's Creed Freedom Cry. You know, it's a little, it's a live action cinematic trailer, and that transitions into like the animation, you know, like the in game kind of content. 
But it, it follows the story of basically, you know, this, this young black boy who's taken from his mother, you know, he's, he's sold into slavery. Um, and then basically he spends, you know, his time trying to dismantle this institution that took him away from his mom. He's trying, he single-handedly like takes down slavery in this island um, in, um, in, in Haiti. I believe, you know, the, the setting is Haiti. Mm-hmm. Now, what, what I like about this game is that it forces the audience, it forces the user to have to like grapple with a couple things, right? So for instance, we don't often see games that feature all black cast, right? So they're basically just black bodies everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it has, you know, like a few, you know, of course, like the, you know, the, the slave handlers and the slave masters and, you know, the, the plantation owners, you know, it's a sprinkle of like white folks, right? But it's like one of those narratives where you have to play as like the black man. And then you see like just this level of violence that he just reeks upon this island against like whiteness, mm-hmm. right? And so I think it's like a, J- a Django effect. So if folks have seen like Django, like they can like imagine, you know, like this game is like, if, if Django was a video game, this would be <laughs> it, right? And then, you know, the game that I would want folks to then play afterwards would be, so start with start with Assassin's Creed Freedom mm-hmm. Cry, go to GTA. So you have to then, I want, we want somebody to play GTA. Now I want them to play GTA, not, not because it has any particular like <laughs> cultural value. It does, but there are some things that are happening in like GTA and it's the one I would want them to play the one, um, the CJ from San oh, Andreas, San Andreas yeah. like the, the San, San Andreas. I would want them to play that one because this game, it opens up. Um, hopefully I'm not conflating Grand Theft Auto, but I believe it's where it opened up, um, CJ's being released from jail and then basically Tenpenny you know comes you know like you know Tenpenny Samuel Jackson's character is like the epitome of like police overuse and abuse of power police brutality right you know so it 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 says okay you're free but we control you we still own you right so it immediately like like lets us know that okay maybe black men might not ever escape from this institutional prison that they that they're in once they're in they're always in and they're always locked in right and so and then you know it follows and then it takes us you know to his home you know he lives in a poor neighborhood you know he's living like in the ghetto right so I think that I think that it's important that that would be like the next step to see okay once the institution of slavery ended then here we are we've got these folks who are like relegated to these ghettos right and so I would want people to like think about okay how did how did we get from like okay slavery ended these black folks are free but then are they really free? So I, and, and then the next game that I would want like people to like engage in and grapple with um, would be Watch Dogs 2, uh, where you see the, you know, this amazing, you know, Marcus, mm-hmm. you know, doing this amazing thing, like hacking, you know, the city using these tools at his disposal, you know. I feel like I would want that to be to be that next because it, then it shows like a okay here's maybe like a potential solution to like the problem like not saying that technology will solve it but like if you're equipped with the tools then maybe you can improve like the livelihoods and you can improve the conditions mm-hmm. of some people somewhere right you know so I would want you know folks to maybe like play those and then also <laughs> so I would want people to either pick either you know Watch Dogs yeah. 2 or Mafia 3 oh, okay. where you could be yeah. like where you could be like okay you can have you can be tech 
solution oriented. We can solve our problems with tech or we'll just go and shoot and kill everybody. We'll take everybody down. Um, so so I, I feel like, you know, that would be, I don't know if I would want them to play both of them. I would want them to decide, okay, kind of like a choose your own adventure. Like after you've played, okay, Freedom Cry and then you play GTA and then we're going to do something about it. Is tech going to be the, the thing that you do or like a full on revolution of burning everything down? Is that going to be like the path that you go? So that, that would be what I would want people to then to play. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on docs listeners, you got some homework to do. Assassin's Creed Freedom Cry, and then GTA San Andreas, Watch Dogs 2, or Mafia 3. I mean, that's a great list of games. Yes. So, that's perfect. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> Dr. Kashana Gray, thank you so much for your time, and really appreciate you speaking with us today. Thank you for having me. Y'all take care. And that's the podcast. High Score is streaming now on Netflix. If you liked what you heard, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and better yet, tell a friend. If you want to get in touch, you can write to us at ondocs at tvo.org and you can follow me on Twitter at ColinEllis81. Thanks to producer and editor Matthew O'Mara, production support coordinators Nikki Ashworth and Jonathan Hallowell, series producer Katie O'Connor, and executive producer for digital Laurie Few. We'll catch you at the next screening. <laughs>